I think the number one thought process is only to post when you want to. Like I have mm. a music video yesterday, yeah. but I didn't post today. I think, you know, any other person would be like, how did you not post today? So your fucking music video is out. Like if I had a label, I, they would be hella blowing my phone up. Like, how did you right. not post today? Right? <laughs> right. But I don't want to post today. Yeah. I don't feel motivated to post today. I feel I need a moment. Mm. I need to breathe for a second. I really want to go to the gym and I want to like sink into it for a second. And then I'll have something to say. Mm. So the number one thing is really only post when you have something to say. Mm. Otherwise, you're just contributing to the clutter and the bullshit. And the noise. And the noise. Yeah. So on a psychological perspective, I don't want to contribute to somebody else's noise. I want to post only shit that I think is really dope and really sincere. And also, it doesn't work when I'm not inspired anytime sure. I, I really feel that way anytime i post something that's like out of necessity it never uh performs well anyway and the whole point is to have it perform well this episode is brought to you by band zoogle from garage bands to grammy winners band zoogle powers the websites for tens of thousands of musicians around the world i can tell you firsthand Bandzoogle is awesome. I've been using them for years. I've built many, many websites on Bandzoogle. It's super simple. You don't need any coding knowledge, graphic design knowledge. I'm actually a really terrible graphic design artist. I'd like to think I'm okay. I'm decent. I have Photoshop and, you know, I've designed my fair share of show posters over the years. I should not have. I'm not a good graphic design artist. I know my strengths and weaknesses. Anyway, Banzoogle, you don't need any of that. You can be a horrible graphic design artist like me. You don't need any coding knowledge. I know very, very, very basic HTML that I learned about 15 years ago. I can still design kick-ass websites on Banzoogle. They also have a bunch of other cool features like a way to create an EPK. You can host and create your custom domain name. There's tools to sell your music and merch it's all commission-free. There's a mailing list. There's social media integrations. They have a crowdfunding feature, which is very new and very cool. They have a subscription service, kind of like Patreon. Also, all commission-free. If you want to try out Bandzoogle, you can go to bandzoogle.com. Use the code ARI. That's just A-R-I, my name, ARI for 15% off the first year of any subscription, but you get a 30-day free trial to just give it a go. Try it out. What's going on? Welcome to the new music business podcast. I am your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. Today, my guest is Madame Gandhi. I said, come and live with me. I get so inspired by you. A yellow loaf near a purple sea. I'll make the bed and lay a table for two. Her birth name is Kiran Gandhi. Uh, she is an unbelievably inspiring person. She's an activist and a feminist. She's a drummer. She started her career drumming for MIA and Thievery Corporation. She's currently on tour with Oprah as part of the Vision 2020 tour. Uh, she's a recording artist, a producer, a speaker, and just a very inspiring person. Oh, and by the way, she has an MBA from Harvard. Uh, we get into a lot of really interesting topics uh, throughout this conversation. 
Jason, and we talk about release strategy, and we talk about how she creates her music and how she creates such high production value music videos as an indie artist. It's a really inspiring and interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy. Of course, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ari Herstand or at Ari's Take, and then please sign up for the email list. That can be found at ariestake.com, where you'll be notified of all upcoming events and get regular information on the goings-ons in the music industry. Let's get to it. Thank you for, for joining us, coming on the show. I know you're in the midst of Oprah's 2020 Vision Tour. You got it. How is that going? It's so, so cool. It's like huge and easy at the same time. Okay, because, what are you doing with it? Well, I'm so used to having to manage the logistics and yeah. running the aesthetics and the lighting and t- managing everything, and then it's my own show, so I, I, I'm invested in producing the whole thing. Totally. But when you're hired as the drummer on somebody else's show, they're handling production and logistics mm. and aesthetic costuming so i just get to show up nice and play drums like i'm 12 again (laughs) and in a stadium oh my god which is amazing yeah so what we do is uh, oprah i guess subtly had attended a daybreaker party which is a morning sober dance party they're amazing yes incredible um and i can see that you would connect with them oh yeah i feel like spiritually you guys are aligned definitely but for those who don't know daybreaker parties that we have them here in la we have them in 28 cities around the world are you you, part of it i i I mean when they founded it in 2014 and 15 i was drumming for them you know so that's how i got looped into this game okay right basically you show up into like a nightclub kind of venue but Mm -hmm. it's six in the morning and you do yoga with like a hundred other people and then from 7 a.m to 9 a.m you just dance as if it's midnight (laughs) sober but you're just drinking coffee Coffee right. and green juice and kombucha <laughs> and you know apples or whatever yes, yes. and uh, and it's just a it's a really positive vibe. I mean, I, I've I've seen the whole gamut. I've seen when it really works. I've mm-hmm. seen when it feels cheesy. I've yeah. seen when it really um, transcends. And yeah. like anything, um, I think they've gotten it to a really really inspiring place. Mm. But nonetheless, uh, Oprah attended one apparently last Whoa. year, and so perfect timing because she must have been with her team planning for her tour. Uh-huh. And commissioned Daybreaker to start every leg of her stadium tour no shit. at 9 a.m. to throw a giant stadium-wide oh dance party yes! for the audience, what? which is such a mutual flex because yeah. obviously Daybreaker, it's just so validating of the concept. Yes. Yes. But it's also really cool and relevant mm-hmm. and like youthful of mm-hmm. Oprah to be like, yep, we're going to have a dance party and then I'm yes. going to come onto the stage <laughs> and it's going to be epic. Yeah. And, and it really is. You know, wow. we have a horn section that parades through the crowd. We have songs like in Rolling in the Deep, Adele, and yeah. Whitney Houston, and... Um, Is it the Hudson Horns that do Daybreaker? Yeah, a lot, of the, say a lot okay. of the members. Sure. We, we kind of almost have a different squad for each one. We have cool. like about seven or eight core members, and okay. then we bring in different people. Gotcha. For example, I tour India next month, which is exciting, right so they on. have another drummer. But I'll tell you one thing that I love. Yes. I play the first drum beat of the entire tour hey. every time. Oh, so wow. I go out on the stage, and yeah. everyone's just like trickling in because it's 9 a.m., Yeah. And they bring the spotlight up Mm. and there I am with my drumsticks and my big doon doon drum from West Africa. And I go, and then the other two drummers join in and then we just bring more and more members on the stage and just like elevate for half an hour. So it's a very, very special thing. Does Oprah Um, come out and dance? She comes out when we finish. Okay. okay, You know, she's, she's a proper show, show business person where she knows there needs to be a, someone to warm up. Yeah. 
yes, crowd. The grand entrance. Uh, the grand Great. entrance. Yeah. So are all of these the the dance party is nine to eleven and then the event starts? No, it's actually just like nine to nine thirty. Oh, and and then oh, she gets gotcha. right on the stage. Okay, okay. You know, cool. because yes. people are spending a lot for this show yes. and it's a full day long event. And mm. I think it's really cool that she gets on with it. She comes cool. right onto the stage. Great. And she's right there as we are leaving. She's mm-hmm. there high fiving us and Amazing. saying thank you and that yeah. was awesome. And they show a video and boom, she kicks it off. Nice. Um, but it's fun. I learn a lot of, of just the production side and the yeah. marketing side and really knowing your audience and advertising to the right people. And I wouldn't have found out about it had I not been following Daybreaker. Like, mm. for example, I saw it advertised before I was even offered the gig. Okay. But it seems like they were very intentional about targeting yeah. the right people because I had no idea that it was happening. Yeah. But people who needed to know definitely knew. Yeah. They're they're sold out or at least they're filled. Yes, yeah. Sold out. Yeah. Amazing. Have you done much arena stadium touring? My first arena tour. All right. Yeah, wow. So cool. Yeah. Cool. And these are mostly just like one offs, right? So you're one-off. flying. Yeah. Okay. Which is my ideal gig. And that's yeah. how I mean I feel spoiled because that's how the MIA tour used to be. Mm, I was right. going to Harvard Business School full time. That's right. And we would do Monday through Friday butt in my seat can't go anywhere but then <laughs> yeah. luckily it would be a saturday show you know in poland or right. like a saturday show in japan like amazing places yeah um and the tour you know somehow they were accommodating we i would fly yeah. out as, at the earliest moment that i could and fly right back i'm curious about that because i i uh was watching something where you're talking about the the getting your mba at harvard while the the mia tour was happening um, were your, did you have to miss much school? See, for I thought I would be or, able to, but yeah. you can't miss school in, in business school like on your MBA program because yeah. basically they're giving 80% of the class a two, which is the, that's like getting a B it's fine. Okay. 80% has to get a two. Okay. So huh. 10% will be the overachievers. They're getting a one mm-hmm. fine. Most people don't aim for that. They're yeah. just trying to get their foot in and get out, Yeah. but they have to give the bottom 10% a three. They have to. So they're looking for someone because everyone's so qualified. It's really hard to be that bad. You already got in. You're smart. Yeah. So the way they do it is if you don't participate. Uh. And if you're not physically there, you can't participate. Uh So it's an automatic ding. Yeah. So it was very scary for me because I really couldn't miss the way I thought I'd be able to. Right. So I remember sitting there like mapping it out and being, okay, the max I can miss is two per class (laughs) without being given a three. I'll be on the border. But whether I'm at the bottom of that 80% of the top, it's all the same. And I can say I'm, I, I had this, I cannot say I yeah. have this amazing experience. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much how I did it. I really did. What'd you end up with? I, I mean, I passed. I got through uh, it. You got through it. I okay. got through Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Um, and I didn't get kicked out of either, which was a true miracle. But, nice. Yeah. Have you always been fairly academic growing up? I mean. Yeah. I think growing up with two Indian parents, I yeah. went to a private school in New York City, mm. you know. My parents were trying to get me into Harvard. I mean, not my parents. We are all, I mean, my, my intention was to be sort of top of my class and go to a prestigious school and and that's what you're sort of i I don't want to say brainwashed that's a little harsh but it's definitely the mechanics of the whole system are set up to enable that Mm. and i remember being like yeah i love academics but i would be i would come to life when i'd play music i'd come to life when i'd play drums or dj you know were your parents as uh, are they fairly traditional indian parents um i think in in some aspects they are and in some aspects they're really future forward okay or if anything it's half and half like my dad is really progressive in many ways and then Mm -hmm. Fairly uh, disciplinarian and sort of academics overachiever. Immigrants or first gen? Um, Yeah, first generation. Yeah, definitely. And then my mom is very much, she's an Aquarius, you know, she's Mm -hmm. like the future and unconditional love. And she just loves the youth and new Mm -hmm. ideas. And she loves things that are fresh and like she just gets it, you know? Even for me having a queer identity, I think Mm -hmm. that was something that I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. But it just, 
it was just so effortless. Like I mm. never had this moment where I was like, I'm gonna come out to my parents. Like I never, I for, personally didn't feel the need to do that because I always felt like my queerness was from a place of like personal liberation. Mm. Like you're almost bypassing the parts of the patriarchy that are problematic. Mm. For me, a queer identity means that like, whoever I'm attracted to, regardless of their gender, is sure. someone that I might choose to be with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's been really empowering and rewarding to see both my parents just very normal about it because have, they see me successful in other areas. Totally. Um, have you had conversations with your parents about, I mean, have you brought home a woman and yeah. then had to kind of have that conversation? Um, or how you know what's that... cool is like, I thought my first partner who I had, my first girlfriend when mm-hmm. I was like 22, I thought I was like fooling everybody. I was like, this is my really good friend, yeah. da da da. And my mom was like, everyone was just like, you don't need to do that. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's cool. Like, mm-hmm. this is your girlfriend. Like, yeah. And I was, I was almost like humbled by that because mm. I thought I was happy wow. to play along the role of like, this is my roommate, this right. is my best friend, which a right. lot of queer folks have to do with their sure. parents. Even if they subconsciously know, just to like keep the waters zen, mm-hmm. we, everyone just like buying into the, you know, elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. But I felt really humbled that mm. they were like, no, like, this is your girlfriend. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> in the, uh, were you part of a, a fairly robust Indian community growing up in my New York? My parents were. I feel okay. like they were very, um, Spotify did my bio once. Like Rovi is like a third party bio company yes. that Spotify hires to write artist bios, which mm-hmm. is so funny. <laughs> I think they've changed it now. You can sub in your own. But yeah. when they first wrote my bio, they wrote like, Kieran Gandhi grew up in a socially upwardly like upwardly mobile new york city (laughs) home like something like that it was such a funny phrase but when i looked back i was like okay i can see that my family had moved to new york they were doing really well for themselves Mm -hmm. my mom was working in the fashion industry my dad was an investment banker so they had a really well-known sort of community of people and the more they did well for themselves we would have people in our homes like eleanor roosevelt's like family would come to our home um we had Hillary Clinton give a speech at our home. Wow. Tony Blair is the prime minister. So we'd be mm-hmm. like in our pajamas and stuff meeting, you know, these, <laughs> these leaders. war leaders. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so in that way, yes, it was an Indian community, but it was also an international community. Sure. And I mean, it sounds fairly progressive. Yes. Um, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest. My best friend's Indian and I, he wow. comes from a very traditional Indian family. Yes. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily what you and expect or hear a lot about from uh many uh, Indian families yeah i think it's so many things i think i always felt really critical of indian families coming to the states but then creating like a microcosm of indian life Mm. in an american context Mm -hmm. i think it's hard for your child because they're living every other aspect in a very american way except for the home Mm -hmm. um and i find that to be a disconnect at the same time i understand that indian heritage indian values Mm -hmm. are so powerful Mm -hmm. like family is so important in india and in fact that's almost why in my own way i was happy to call my love my best friend just to like make my parents happy you know like you you uh, that that trumps anything that that overpowers anything Mm. and uh and so i do feel lucky that my parents have this healthy mix of both where Mm -hmm. we draw from Indian values that really um, feel good and maybe Mm -hmm. let go of some of the Indian values that might be controlling or oppressive. And you lived in Mumbai for a few Mm -hmm. years, right? What, how old were you when you were there? I was uh, eight, nine, and ten years old. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So and I was awake and alive, yeah. and I loved it. You I did. really did love it. Um, why? Why did you? Why did your family go? My my there? dad actually got a promotion to go and head uh, the Morgan Stanley Investment Banking Division of Mumbai. Okay. And so we moved cool. out there, and of course we all went kicking and screaming. Like I wasn't sure, happy right. to leave my friends in yeah. New York, but now I'm so happy because whenever I go to India, like I'll be touring there next month. Mm. 
I have my own connections, my own relationship to India. I feel happy to be Indian. Mm. I chose to keep in my artist name, my last name, because yes. it's so iconically mm -hmm. an Indian identity, mm -hmm. um, instead of just going with a different artist name altogether. You sure. know, like Kieran, uh, who, who now performs as Fortet, he's British Indian, or mm. MIA is Sri Lankan British. Right. Um, but those names, MIA or Fortet, don't necessarily, they don't nod to their Indian or Sri Lankan heritage. True. But I did want to consciously incorporate Gandhi mm. in my name, which is my real last name, yeah. to preserve that identity. And Madam, I'm assuming, yeah. comes from, I mean, a lot of your music uh, deals with uh, female empowerment, celebrating, elevating the female voice. I'm assuming that's where that comes from. Yes, Madam? very much so. And I think the more subtle answer, too, is when I did live in India, mm -hmm. many of the culture and community refers to Indian women after a certain age as Madam or even oh. younger women like baby Madam. You know, okay. Bardi Madam means bigger Madam, as in like maybe the mother or the grandmother. Sure. Um, and... I thought that was cool. Yeah. You know, I think interestingly, Madam also has like a problematically um, colonial and colonizer yes. subtext. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I just felt like it's a, you know, we're in this culture of like female boss, she's a boss, mm -hmm. da da da. Mm -hmm. um, or like this whole thing of like ladies as pimps to go and brush you, that whole thing. But I was like, I don't want to uh, aspire to a masculine thing and try to feminize it. I'd rather mm. just go into something that already exists as a feminine style of leadership or a mm. feminine respect term. Mm. And if we have a president, Madam President, sure. Madam Prime Minister, yes. things like that. Yeah. When did you come up with your artist's name, the whole project? What was that? How did that come to be? When I was graduating Harvard, I remember really going inward and being like, okay, so what's the job? Like, what's the dream job? Because mm -hmm. when I went in, I thought I had... I had worked at Interscope for two years. As an intern, right? No. No. Full time. I was okay. a digital analyst in oh, their wow. data marketing team. Oh, okay. Digital marketing team, yeah. While you were in school or after you finished? So I finished Georgetown uh, in 2011. That was uh -huh. my undergrad. And then my first job out of college for two years was at Interscope Records. Okay. Where I worked full time uh, analyzing patterns in Spotify streams and YouTube views. Oh. And so my intention, even though I love drumming, it was always, you know, in the night and around the city and mm -hmm. playing I thought, let me go get my MBA from Harvard so that I can go and work at a place like a Spotify or a YouTube mm. um, or even another label so I can be shaping who we're signing, who are the, you know, who are cool. the gatekeepers? Yeah. How can I be responsible for programming more women artists, queer artists, artists of color, artists of different abilities? Like, mm. how can I be part of the change from the inside? Yeah. And Harvard is, is the name brand school. Where, who's not going to pay attention at the very least <laughs> right. to someone who has this prestigious degree? Sure. So that was my goal. But when I was graduating, I was like, man, I'm going to these like Spotify interviews and YouTube interviews and like the biggest flex they have is like that they have beer on tap and they have like a ping pong <laughs> fucking right, table right. and they have a VR gaming room <laughs> yeah. and they have like the, you know, like employee resource group for, for queer folks and mm. things like that. And I was like, okay, so it's college 2.0 with mm. a really nice comfortable salary, but mm. I don't know, that doesn't, that doesn't excite me. Mm. Like, I think that's such an amazing setup, to be honest. In fact, people go to these prestigious degrees to have access to a job like that because mm -hmm. it's a dream job. Right. And if it's supposed to be a dream job and if it doesn't excite you, you have to pay attention to that. Totally. I was like, What's, what, what do I want to do? I was like, the only thing that would feel dope right now is to make my own music mm. and, and tour on my own project. Even yeah. if it's small, I'd rather do that. So I, I made the jump and, and started going for it. And so you were work. Were you working at Interscope when you kind of created the artist project? Where you no, created it was years no. later. It was. I had okay. done two years at business school. I okay. had graduated, and then it was Madame Gandhi. Okay. And so I mean, 
you were even thinking about these um, kind of your your activism, I guess, early on. My um, activism has always been there. Even when I was at Georgetown, I did do my uh, minor in women's and gender studies. Okay. So, and activism also was deeply ingrained in our childhood. Like my mom would always take us to volunteer. My mom and dad would always be hosting fundraisers in our home. That's why we would have these prestigious speakers. Mm -hmm. Usually it would be a ticketed event that we're hosting in our private home. Mm. And then it's giving back to a charity. So that mentality was always very ingrained. Mm -hmm. Um, I think giving back looks like different things for different people. But I knew that it had to be part of the mission. What do you consider an activist? Mm. Because, I mean, you're a very clearly an activist through your art, through your music. You also do a lot of speaking. Um, but have you thought about kind of what it looks like to be an activist and, and what, like, how, how someone can embody that? And what yeah, that looks like? I think you, you feel connected to a social a problem in the social sphere mm-hmm. that your work is dedicated to changing Mm. and i really do ask this question always is this aligned is this aligned like Mm. for example to come to this podcast yes it's not to masturbate my own ego (laughs) it's to say you ari have a wonderful platform because of this amazing book that you've written thank you how can i share my ideas to your audience Mm -hmm. so that i can make a a wave to anyone who might be so generous as to listen Mm -hmm. so it's not like i might be on the streets protesting, Mm -hmm. but using any kind of opportunity to make the difference that you're trying to make, Mm. I think is activism. And using your own strengths. So one of your strengths is music and creation. And and then anyone can kind of use whatever strengths they have uh, to pursue the uh, causes that they believe in. That's it. Yeah. Um, I'm curious um, because, I mean, activism at the core of pretty much everything you do when you like link up with a brand, for instance, mm. like Adidas, um, how do you choose? I mean, especially like a giant corporation like totally. that, where giant corporations are questionable. Totally. There's no perfect corporation out there. I love this there. question. Um, how do you choose who you're going to partner with? Yeah, I think one uh, you know very honest example is two years ago, I did a big ad campaign with The Gap. Mm. The Gap had hired 12 of us, cast rather 12 of us as our own names, not mm. as you know anonymous models, mm-hmm. but with our name featured. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be part of their fall campaign. Mm. And not only did were we in, you know, the st- standard advertising in Gap stores, but they also did a lot of profile work on our activism. Mm. So the, the flip side of that is like Gap is notorious for fast fashion and sweatshop labor, especially mm. in parts of South Asia like Bangladesh, where mm-hmm. the, the sweatshop labor is probably the worst, you know, that we've seen. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really difficult decision. Um, and that's not like the money was incredible. It's really, it was not about the money in that case. It was more about like, what's the intention here? Mm. And for me growing up in New York City, I loved The Gap. I used to go to The Gap with my mom. I used to get my all my Christmas gifts for my family from The Gap. Yeah. Like I loved going to The Gap. Yeah. But it was always either white models or black models. What's seen as traditionally American. Mm. And so to be, and I looked even more androgynous when we shot that two years ago because my hair was so much shorter yeah to be playing the drums which i was in the campaign and look very androgynous and be indian Mm. in this big fifth avenue media piece Mm -hmm. was insane so i understood the value of committing to that Mm -hmm. was completely not related to the sweatshop labor Mm. it was completely related 
to a media play that co combats lack of diversity. Representation. And you were that representation, um, changing what maybe the history of their campaigns had been, yes. um, showcasing you. And not just an Indian woman, but a female drummer, which yes. we don't see represented too often yes. as well. Um, are you part of the uh, the Jam Card community at all? Yes, Do you know about I just that? played at the Women's Jam Card oh, great. event. Yeah, okay, a couple I missed ago. the last one, but that's they great. They had a huge one uh, last weekend. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, at NAM. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. For, it wasn't at or, NAM. It was here in LA, but yes, for NAM weekend. weekend. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Um, They're doing amazing work. I love I love, uh, I Elmo, love Elmo and, and, yeah. and Christian. And I just think bringing people together for the organic sole purpose of like playing music is yeah. a lost concept these right. days. And it's happy. <laughs> it's fun to do that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so... So getting back to kind of your your music now that you have, um, I, specifically your music videos. Um, so I um, the uh, top not turn up the video. Okay, first off, well done. Thank that is you. fucking incredible. Thank it's you so such much. a cool video. That means a lot to um, me. I think all women, right? Um, and and it seems like a female director, yes. DP. I yes. mean, just like. Like I appreciate you being so well researched. Uh, yeah, yeah, so for much. sure. Um, but like, so you're an independent artist, right? Yes. Okay. As an independent artist, and most of the listeners are independent artists. How did you create yes. a video with yes. such in high production value, incredible people, uh, hair, makeup? I mean, just the drone shots. Thank uh, you. The location was incredible. I mean, it's a brilliant video. It's Thank really, you. really cool. Thank you. How did you do it? So I'm so happy <laughs> you asked this question. And I'm so happy to know that many of your audience is independent yeah. musicians. Um, so the number one thing that I've learned is that we have to diversify our source of income. Mm. That's number one. Because... It, music sometimes pays the bills, but then when you know you've put out an album and now you're two, three years out from that album, obviously the royalties will decrease no matter what, unless mm -hmm. some other person has licensed it. The second a store, like source of income for me is uh, licensing opportunities. Um, a great example of that was that I had spoken at this. Uh, somebody invited me to speak at their first like fledgling um, kind of like backyard initiative in Venice. Mm. And it really, there wasn't much in it for me because it was their first one. We didn't have a guaranteed audience, but I liked the person, you know, I liked her vibe. And mm -hmm. I was like, all right, you know what? I will speak at your first event. I'm happy to do it. And in the audience of that was this woman who works at a huge ad agency. So now she invites me uh, six, seven months later to come and give a keynote at their ad agency for mm. Women's Month. Cool. So I give this keynote, I perform. Then one of their people approaches me. They're like, this timing is crazy. We're doing this big ad campaign. And this song you played second to last. What was the name of that song? And I was like, oh, it's called Yellow Sea. Within a week, they had licensed the song for the campaign. Whoa. And it was more money than I had ever made in one check. Just oh from gosh. doing what's, you know, aligned. Mm, mm -hmm. So many opportunities come from being like, I don't know, people talk about being in the flow. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm in the flow, sometimes I'm really not in the flow. Mm. But when I am, these kinds of synergistic things happen because mm. people see you, they see your hustle, they see the genuineness. So that's one example, licensing, obviously. Sure. Um, I give a lot of public speaking um, opportunities and yeah. speeches. So if I speak at a corporation or a university, it's a win-win because obviously it's financially sustainable for me, but mm -hmm. also I'm bringing this radical message to a place like Spotify, yeah. where if I worked at Spotify, yeah. I probably wouldn't be able to say as much honest things, as many honest things as I'm saying on a panel True. as a visitor. Sure. Um, so that's one. And then of course, small things, like I did a little bit of consulting here and there. Okay. I remember um, you know, playing drums for somebody here mm -hmm. and there, like as many small scoring opportunities. So that's an example. Yeah. And then for Top Knot specifically, 
of course, we had a lot of people donate their time and their energy because sure. they saw the value of it or yeah. they they emotionally aligned with the words and lyrics of that song. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the most second most important thing that I learned when I was at business school is like understanding how value is defined to somebody else. Like, you know, if I give a tour, for example, and the budget is really low and I can only offer a musician like 150 bucks to play the couple nights, like one per, per show, 150 sure. bucks. Um, but that might not be enough for them. Mm -hmm. I try to see are there other things that might be valuable to you. Like, mm. you know, you have family in one of the locations. You know, does it help if I give you a day off or we structure a day off in the tour for you to spend time with family cool. and I'm flying you out in and out. It's not on your budget. Sure. Or, you know, you're trying to promote yourself as a drummer. What if we get you great content, video content, and I make a video just for you that has nothing to do with my project? Does that help? You know, uh, what are other things that I can offer? Are these conversations that you have with someone? You're, Very open. Okay. Open. I mean, that's a really important point because I think a lot of us get caught up in the numbers and the finances and just kind of, um, you know, trying to work it out on a spreadsheet, black yeah. and white. But we don't think about the value proposition that's not on a spreadsheet yeah. and what you can offer the human component of it. Yes. All. And I'm happy you say that. But I think one aside to make also is mm -hmm. like. You have to be honest. You can't mm. lie either. Right. Like I see a lot of people trying to finesse like, mm. oh, we don't have budget, but we'd yeah. be happy to give you the photos after. And the rest of the team is staying in the expensive hotels, right. flying first class, right. you know. So then you're like, listen, we're not stupid. Right. We're not stupid. You can't lie to us. Yeah. If you have the budget, say you have the budget and mm. pay. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the budget, how come I'm seeing it being spent and mismanaged? Yes. So for me, I really genuinely try to look and say, what is fair? What mm. is right? And luckily, having experienced drums for other people like Kehlani, like MIA, mm -hmm. I know what the stars are paying their touring artists. Mm -hmm. So I have some sense of what's fair, what mm -hmm. would be the industry price, sure. and maybe how much I'm falling short of that, or if I'm able to achieve it. Yeah. I mean, you've seen it now on both sides as the hired gun and now as the, uh, I guess, the boss, the employer, um, lead, the leader of the operation, um, you know, what comes, I guess, what are the responsibilities more so that on the other side of it as the leader now that you maybe didn't necessarily see as just the hired gun? I think one of the biggest things is feeling responsible for somebody else's personal growth. Mm. I have um, two or three team members who've now been on my team for like coming on three or four years mm -hmm. and making sure that I'm not giving them the same tasks over and over again, you know, making sure huh. that every six months to at least a year, there's like a new set of tasks and there's, um, you know, increased finances where it feels fair based mm. on the, how the job description has evolved. Mm. And it keeps me hustling too. Cause if I'm stagnant, if I'm in the same place that I was two years ago, then why would that person feel incentivized to stay with me? Sure. You know, you feel responsible for somebody else's, um, career, especially mm. people who are younger than me, you yeah. know, I'm like, damn, I really want this to, to go off, to be amazing yeah. so yeah. that all of these years that you've spent feel worth it. I mean, those are great things that any boss in any industry can be thinking about and should be thinking about. Uh, I mean, just for, you know, to reduce burnout rates, um, mm -hmm. and keep your people inspired and genuine care. You yeah. know, I think we have a pretty open dialogue. I think I've also learned, I've been better about boundaries. I think mm. there's times when I kind of pendulum around it where I'm so lenient, like, are you okay? How's everything? Yeah. Take this time off, take that time off. Yes. I'm happy to cover that expense. Da da da. And then it's like too much in that direction. Mm. And then it's scary to have to pull it back in. Cause you don't want to look like you're either like, you know, frantic or, yeah that you don't know how to manage it. So finding that happy balance where it's like, these are the expectations. Mm. These are the boundaries. Yes. If these boundaries work for you, 
you're welcome. If uh-huh. they don't work for you, you're you're totally allowed to say that they don't work for you. Yeah. And this job is not a good fit. So mm. I've I've learned how to say that ahead of time. These are the things that matter to me. Yeah. And if that's exciting to you, then this is going to work really well. Mm. Do you have many people who are on your team um, that have, uh, I guess, more permanent members or yeah. a lot of people per tour? Or No, okay. three are permanent. Okay. Three or even four, I could say, because my best friend um, steps in and out a lot to, cool. to help. And we've been doing that for almost three or four years now. Who's your current team that you... Uh, Nora is my day-to-day manager. Okay. Nora's been with me the uh, second longest. Okay. Mars um, already graduated USC, already moved to Houston and is still working for me, which I love. Cool. Um she is doing communications and blog and website management. Nice. There's a lot of updates that have to happen, newsletters, posts, things like that. Sure. I do own, I do uh, Instagram because it's my voice, but mm-hmm. I do see Twitter, Facebook as, um, at least for me, as more just like content generation, mm-hmm. sharing what's happening and updates. It's less in my voice. Mm. Um, so Mars helps me manage that. We also run this amazing playlist every wednesday and today's wednesday so we have a new one up it's called the future is female on Uh, spotify yeah we have 30 songs every week that we have done dedicated for the past three years without fail i think we missed christmas but that's all um (laughs) wow uh where we program 30 songs and by up-and-coming or known artists that we love so those are the two members and then julia has just started peeing for me about a year ago and julia's doing strictly assistant yeah exactly doing strictly like you know, being on set, helping me pull outfits, helping mm. me like get to hair and makeup, shit like that, which years ago I didn't have a need for that. It's kind of funny. Yeah. But then when you do it, you're realizing like, oh, I'm a little bit like debilitated. I'm starving, but I'm in my hair and makeup. I need somebody who's dedicated to me, who's yes. not part of the, you know, Gap or Adidas team, mm. whose strict job is to help me with my needs so that I can operate mm-hmm. at full speed. How often are you doing these high production videos? Good question. We started off last year doing a bunch. I was doing this big campaign with Adidas for their new fragrance. It's uh-huh. a boxing commercial. It's really cool because they show me as both a drummer as and as an athlete. Uh-huh. Um, cool. And wellness for musicians is very important to me. Mm. Um, after this, I'm going to be boxing, actually, which is great. Oh, really? Yeah. All right, cool. Um, are you not, Are you a boxer? Are you trained boxer? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing done? it for a while. Okay. I, I, You know, boxing you have to do every day to be properly sparring and sure. stuff like that and i want to get to that phase okay. but that's why whenever i'm here in la i put in the time because when i'm traveling it's harder to maintain real quick i want to let you know about two lost two lost is a new distribution company to the space and let me tell you i am very impressed with them i i got a full deep dive demo with the founder and yeah they're very innovative and when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is you better be innovative and they are yes they will get your music out to spotify apple music all the places plus 450 other outlets around the world they do not take a commission This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them they've already distributed 7 million songs they offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less-than-legit pub admin services. Well, 2Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer Instant royalty advances. Uh, This is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, 
They can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of Everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register you with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue, uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. How do you stay healthy and active on the road? I that, Yeah, very challenging. Do you have a routine? I do. I think the best life hack is a jump rope. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Do you have an Apple Watch? No. Uh, no. That's funny because I didn't really get the Apple Watch for the fitness benefits, mm-hmm. but I now I'm starting to get into it because mm. now on my team, we all have a challenge. So like everyone's like hella trying to get their calories and their yeah, steps yes, in, yes. which is really funny. In fact, it's getting so bad. Like last night, I only had 20 calories left to burn to like get to the dedicated amount. Uh-huh. So I got out of bed like a no. loser. <laughs> I got out of bed like a loser yeah. and jump roped for like nice. literally four minutes and then it finished the 20 calories yeah. that I needed. It was so Good funny. For you. And then I was able to rest easy it was so dumb yeah but uh but yeah i think a jump rope is an underestimated cool. really good hack because yeah. you can do a lot of exercises with the jump rope itself itself mm. um i hate hotel gyms i never go to them people always swear by them but like i just it's it's not fun they're usually in the basement yeah i like googling what's the local soul cycle or crossfit or like what's the local gym do you do crossfit yeah okay and yeah. soul cycle I mean, whatever, you know, like, Very I like, LA I, I, so LA, <laughs> rumble, I right. mean, yeah, but, uh, cool, but yeah, I mean, as if it's fun, I'll do it. Yeah. And so do you like running? Is that always been your thing? Yeah, so but that's I can't fun do it on a you. treadmill. I like running in the world. Gotcha. Okay. Like it's a fun thing to be like, okay, I have 30 minutes and I'm in a new place yeah. and I have to leave tomorrow because my flight is booked tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. At least if I run, I'm seeing stuff, I'm getting my workout in. It's cute. Do you try to run in a lot of the cities yeah, that you yeah, tour yeah. through if you have time? Yeah, Sweet. definitely. So that's, I mean, running, uh, that's one of the things that puts you on the map nationally, kind of uh, like was one of your viral moments, an early viral moment um, when you ran the marathon. Which marathon was it? It was the London Marathon. The London Marathon. Um, and you uh, were on your period yes. and you decided that you weren't going to try to struggle with any of um, the, the stuff that people do because yeah. it. I mean, it's not comfortable, while, right? I would imagine that running yeah. a marathon uh, with a tampon is probably not that comfortable. Yeah, and um, I think I'm sure many people do it. And I think it was my first marathon. I remember being worried that I'm even on my cycle. Yeah. Like day one, usually I just try to chill yeah. and uh, get huh. through the day. And, and usually I have a little bit like, you know, I'll take um like an Advil or something because it's you, know, you feel a little bit of pain in your mm. stomach. You just want to chill out. 
So I just didn't know how the marathon would go. And I was like, listen, I would rather just bleed freely and run and see how this goes than yeah. use something that might not be so comfortable to actually go running in. Huh. Um, and I wrote about this experience on my blog post because the run went so well and it was such a good time and you I felt comfortable. It? Finished it. Wow. We didn't even walk. That's how good wow. it was. I ran the whole time. Oh my gosh. I was so energized. It yeah. was really cool. And it mm. was a good, it was really I think the reason spiritually, I don't have a mechanical reason why I went, went viral, but I have a spiritual reason. Like mm. I just genuinely felt proud of myself. Mm. I think that was one of the few moments in my life where I can point to or I didn't feel the need to show it to my dad or mom or show it to my friend. Or like, I felt like, oh my God, I a ran a marathon. Mm -hmm. I'm not much of a runner. Like that felt so cool. Yeah. And then I was like my best self on my cycle on day one. Wow where usually I just kind of believe the misnomer that we're not supposed to be A+. plus. Mm. So mm -hmm. I felt really proud, and that's why I wrote about it, because I wanted to commemorate it for myself. Mm -hmm. And then someone picked up that story who works at Policy Mike, which is now just Mike.com. Sure. And then it started trending. Somebody else saw it. They reposted it. I mean, it wasn't even my name. at that. At most of the articles didn't even know my name. It was just right. like, feminist hero. Right. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Right. So, you know, many people do think it was intentional, was planned. Sure. Um, and I always say very openly that it, it really wasn't. It was huh. just an act of, of, like, it was an act of self-care in a way. Mm. That is really interesting because you are so so much of an activist and a and an outward feminist and outspoken feminist. Um but this was just logistically yeah, the best way to do it. <laughs> right. Like, totally. And it, but, it, but I knew it was radical. Like, yeah, I don't think okay, I knew okay. of anybody free bleeding in general. Sure. And I've never done that for myself <laughs> right, before. Okay, yeah. So I, I, you know, I knew it was radical. And I also knew I but I also felt like this is badass. Like bleeding from anywhere trying to run 26 miles is like punk rock. You yeah, know? yeah. So I was like on some MIA mentality yeah, type Dope. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you start off your uh visions ep um with clips from your speeches and one of them uh is you say stigma is one of the most effective forms of oppression because it denies us the ability to talk comfortably and confidently about our own bodies and do you find that i mean i think just like bleeding in general and menstrual cycle there's pro there's always been a stigma around that mm -hmm. um is this what that connects to or yeah. okay it's very much the context and when i pulled that quote the context of that moment in the speech was definitely me talking about the marathon okay but it's applied to so many different things like it's applied to masturbation it's applied mm. to pleasure it's applied to sex positivity especially through a female lens in general yes. Um, the music video that I just put out is called See Me Through. And mm. my two friends who are married, who directed it, also star as the two lovers in the video itself. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to cast two queer women to tell out and play out this story of love in my mm. video. Because so often we see two women on screen, but it's directed by men. Mm. And so then the it's, it's catering more to like a masculine fantasy of what two sure. women having sex <laughs> might look like sure. rather than an authentic experience that came from myself. Mm. And so nothing wrong with male fantasy, but it's also important to have, um, you know, a, a narrative where we get to own our own narrative mm -hmm. in that space. So mm. that's what that quote re relates to. And there are so many things in our culture that are stigmatized where people feel awkward talking about them. Definitely. Um, but you know, to whose expense? At our expense. Right. Our as in women. In this case, yeah. Yes. Women, people who bleed, et cetera. Yes, yes. Um, so I want to, I'm curious about your uh, creation process, how you make your music. Um, do you have 
a home studio? Do you work with so the producer on this new record, uh, Dave Lewis, and you? Did you co-produce most of this stuff? Yeah, together, Dave actually did. Uh, he just did the first song waiting oh, for me. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so, what is your creation process? Do you do a lot of collaboration, co-writing? Is it mostly? Do you start on your own? Uh, what DAW do you use? Like, yeah. how, how does this? So whole I work? Um, I love using Ableton. Okay. I do have a home studio. What I love to do is usually I get ideas when I'm like by myself. I mm -hmm. love to sing when I'm by myself. Like okay. yesterday. I was boxing and yeah. then I was in the parking lot and the parking lot reverb was really nice. Cool. So I was singing nice. and then I liked the lyrics so I recorded them into my phone mm -hmm. and then I'll build up a lot of those. And if I notice myself singing one tune kind of more often than others, I'll say I actually do want to stay with this vibe and make mm -hmm. it into a song. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll sit down at Ableton and I'll record vocal loops. I'll choose a BPM and then I'll record vocal loops because I love starting with the vocals and then the drums, like acapella and then Makes on sense. drums. It's the easiest for me. It's cool. the most raw. Yeah. And usually with drums, I don't actually enjoy programming them electronically. I use audio to record it. So I'll just put a mic over my drum set, mm. which is like most people's worst nightmare because you're not micing each drums <laughs> right, individually. Right. But the thing is, you are moving quick. It's uh, the sketching process. Okay. It's not about the quality of the drums in that moment because you're going to re-record everything anyway. Gotcha. So I just put one mic over my drum set at home or even if it's a percussive thing, and mm -hmm. I just like, you know, do 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 and then I have the loop, boom. Now I just double it and bring cool. it, copy and paste. And I start maybe chopping or affecting that little vocal that I might have recorded, or then start laying down some keys or chords or little um, synth patterns, mm. a bass. Mm -hmm. And I start sketching out what I think could be the song. Once I have that demo, then I don't mind to go to a friend who has a sound that I like or, or aspirationally reach out to a producer on Instagram whose work I like yep. and say, hey, here's a bounce of this really simple demo that I've made, mm -hmm. but this is the idea of the song. Yeah, yeah. And let's finish it together. Yeah. Cool. And it, has that always been your creation process from the beginning? Uh, At least for this project? Yeah, it really has. I think my Ableton skill sets have gotten a lot better over the years. I think uh -huh. in the beginning it was more side by side. But then, you know, not that I'm not, I'm not, I'm really not a control freak. Yeah. But it's burdensome to be telling somebody else what to do. Yeah. Especially because unfortunately many people then think they're the ones doing it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, that's not even fair. I'm asking you to do <laughs> X, Y, and Z. Sure. Be fair. Yeah. You, I'll always say when someone's made a contribution to the record. Totally. But know the difference between an engineer and yes, a producer. Absolutely. Producer is creating, uh, is contributing creatively. An engineer is you're an extension technically of me because I don't operate Pro Tools. Mm -hmm. And so you're doing how I'm asking you to do. So I think those nuances are the reason why I like to come in with a project close to done. So when you create these Ableton demos, is yeah. that what you'd consider them sure, initially? Yeah. Um, do any of your initial tracking yes, makeup we on the use final? it, of course. You do? Yeah, definitely. Okay. definitely. Even the mic over the drum set? Yeah, because if you double that over really dope mic, yeah. it's just cool, extra, okay. like raw, unique cool. stuff. Or cool. we'll affect it. You know, yeah. we'll pitch it an octave higher. So now Sick. it's just like, like on See Me Through. Yeah. We took the main drum stem and then we uh, tripled the speed of it and reversed it. Mm. So you get this really cool effect and see me through of like, yeah. which is just techniques in Ableton that allow you to manipulate sound in really unique ways. Cool, cool. I like that in a lot of your music, the, the drums are front and center and that you've maintained that because I mean, a lot of artists who start as instrumentalists or something, as you go through the pop production machine a lot of their um what makes them special and unique kind of gets stripped away 
uh, because it's not necessarily in the vision of the producer you might be working with, but you kind of held on to that. Has that been something you're drumming at least? Definitely, because I think the thing that makes most art dope is what sounds unique, mm. what you can't get anywhere else. Yes. And I'm telling you, one fun thing about doing these cheesy fitness classes is that you hear what bullshit is on the top 40 radio yeah. <laughs> in the current moment, you know? Yeah. Um, I love that you start off the record. Also, um, it was, I don't want every day to turn up to the sound of my own oppression. Right. That's <laughs> because, how like, I that's feel. Because that's the content of a lot of the music that yes. we work out to. Yes. Right. If that's on the radio. Yeah. 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 For sure. No, so there's a, you know, I was at mm -hmm. Rumble. They have all women in the class. There's not even one guy in the class. And mm. the music is saying things that, you know, using the B word, using the H word to refer to women. And it's like, how are you going to program this music when the main people funding this business yes. are women paying $35 for a class? Do like, you bring that up to them? I you do. Should. I do. I do. And actually, a lot of times they're just so disconnected. Like, oh, 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 I didn't even realize. Oh, yeah. Like, well, we, we're a hip hop thing. We play hip hop yeah. music. And I'm like, well, you play hip hop music, but all your clientele is white. Like, have you ever thought about that? Yeah. You know, it's just like, yeah. there's so many layers. Um, yeah. So I actually don't go there that often. I went sure. there only because because it was the only class that was having an 8.30 class. Most <laughs> last people's classes are like I mean, at seven. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that's important. That makes sense. Um, nice. So um, now, have you you have you always been independent? Or were you with yes. Interscope? You were just working at Interscope yeah. as an employee. Yes. You never signed no, as a to a major. No. And has that been an intentional decision from the get-go? I think it's a mixture. I think I really do understand the value of a label. Mm -hmm. I, I love the idea that a label um, can handle some of the logistical aspects that mm -hmm. I handle currently. Mm. But also they can add enormous value in terms of playlisting, banner advertisements, pushing the music to places that otherwise you wouldn't have access to. Right. Um, performing in, in really corporate spaces like an iHeartRadio Fest or things like that that are purely labels are programming those spaces right. um, that we wouldn't have access to otherwise. Marketing budgets. Like, for example, I put out See Me Through, but I'm not going to spend money on advertising dollars because it's kind of like a gamble. Like, sure. I can pay $20 and it'll be like, for 50 to more dollars, you can reach 600 more people. <laughs> right. So then you're like, oh, okay, here's another 60. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah. Well, for the, you know, so unless you have a team who knows intentionally how to spend that money and yeah. target, it doesn't make sense. Mm. So these are the areas that I think a label would offer a huge amount of value. And I do think a major label more so than an indie, because in mm. my own way, I'm operating as an indie label, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, of course, there are the negative trade-offs. They own the masters. They're asking for things in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. um, they're trying to get a cut of a lot of things that I've invested over my own years. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the more educated I am going into a label deal, I would really pretty stand strong, pretty much stand strong on these aspects that I care about. Mm -hmm. And if a label wants to do something, hopefully there's enough room for negotiating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you have the benefit of knowing yourself very well. And so it doesn't seem like you would, you know, be going to these label meetings, um, just kind of, uh, starry eyed, starry -eyed and, and basically like telling, tell me where to sign and I'll sure. sign whatever you're throwing a bunch of money at me and oh my gosh, no, you're, yeah. you know, capital or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, struggle that a lot of young artists of uh, fall into is they see a blip of a little bit of immediate Money. success, something. Yeah. And then a label will, will grab them and throw them through the system, but they don't know themselves enough. I love that. And then they kind of lose track of who they are. Yes. And then, you know, 10 years later, they have a mental breakdown and they quit music because totally. they were not true to themselves. I, exactly. I'm so happy you're bringing that up because many people don't want to talk about that. But mm -hmm. see, let's say you're young and you get signed 
and then you have exponential growth that's really different than the growth you've had, that's because the label has pumped money and resources into something. It's like injecting something. It's like Botox. It is, it is. So you have this maybe one-time benefit or even liposuction, these different yeah. kinds of things where we're trying to get a one-time win yes. for, for at the expense of long-term gains. Mm. So emotionally, as you just said, and, and mature-wise, maturity-wise, you're not at that level or mm. you're put onto a huge stage that you haven't had years to practice to be deserving of how to perform on that stage. Yes. You look at a lot of young rappers, they don't have stage movement. They're mm -hmm. just hopping around left and right and they've taken three shots beforehand because it's so nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. For me, I feel I want to organically get to a place where my stages match the quality of my performance mm. in an honest way. Yeah, I'm speaking at TED in April. Wow, congratulations, Thank that's incredible. You. I got accepted as a TED fellow this year. Wow. So instead of doing TEDx like I've done many times, sure. it's the main TED. Amazing. So we get a main TED talk at the end of it. Yeah. If this had happened even three years ago, I would have been so nervous. Mm. Now it's like, yeah, duh, like of course I'm qualified <laughs> it, for right. that. I've yeah. practiced so many times, yes. I've given so many speeches, I'm not nervous, mm. I love being on a stage. It's a natural Let's progression it's of natural everything progression. that you've been doing. How many shows would you say you've probably you've performed as Madame Gandhi? I mean, I'd like to think I'm at hundreds at this point. I okay. don't think I'm at a thousand yet. Yeah. Um, but I remember there was one artist signed to Interscope. He's like a guitarist. I think he's Irish or British. Mm -hmm. And he would always say at the beginning of each show, welcome to show number 563. Wow. Uh, welcome yeah. to show number 825. Mm. So I thought that was really cute. And I was wondering, how many have I played? Yeah. Um, but I think what's cool is that every time I give asked to be given a talk, mm -hmm. I always do three or four songs at the end. Oh, nice. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's part of your yeah. just just uh, the package. Yeah, the package. Yeah, we cool. do it because it's a it's mutually beneficial. That yeah. way I'm showing the very thing that I've just given a speech about. And we're like uplifting a bunch of people. Yeah. And then I usually get them dancing uh, and in their body. And it's holistic. Are you going to do that at TED? You only have 10 minutes, right? Yeah, they, no, they give me a separate performance and a separate talk. Oh, oh, wow. Yes, yeah, dope. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that's great. All right. Nice. Um, so I'm curious about the indie hustle um, because we're all, as all the indie artists, especially people listening, um, you know, are trying to figure out their own way and try to figure out how to make things happen. Um, I love that you brought up diversifying your revenue streams, but also, I mean, you you mentioned I you were DMing people on Instagram, mm -hmm. people that you wanted to work with. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a really interesting creative um, outreach tactic. I mean, your Instagram is very strong and it's very much on brand. So you go to your Instagram and it instantly you can tell kind of who you are. Speak to that a little bit, actually, the, the Instagram component mm. of your entire operation and the thought process behind that. I think the number one thought process is only to post when you want to. Like, I have mm. a music video yesterday, yeah. but I didn't post today. I think, you know, any other person would be like, how did you not post today? It's your fucking music video is out. Like, if I had a label, I, they would be hella blowing my phone up. Like, how did you right. not post today, right? <laughs> right. But I don't want to post today. Yeah. I don't feel motivated to post it. I feel I need a moment. Mm. I need to breathe for a second. I really want to go to the gym and I want to like sink into it for a second. And then I'll have something to say. Mm. So the number one thing is really only post when you have something to say. Otherwise, mm. you're just contributing to the clutter and the bullshit. And the noise. And the noise. Yeah. So on a psychological perspective, I don't want to contribute to somebody else's noise. I want to post only shit that I think is really dope and really sincere. And also, it doesn't work when I'm not inspired anytime sure. I, I really feel that way anytime i post something that's like out of necessity it never uh performs well anyway and the whole point is to have it perform well yeah and it, it seems like it's a natural extension of who you are Thank and so you. if you don't uh have something to say 
it would be fairly transparent that if you posted something like it's that, fake. people it's would say it's fake. Yeah. yeah. And nothing, uh, what you're, I mean, nothing you do seems to be inauthentic or I fake. Do. And so I think that's a really important thing because I think, you know, social media for a lot of artists is, is a, work. Yeah. And it's a struggle. It's, it's challenging to know how to be your authentic self through this other medium. I think with the music, that's, that's easy. That's that's or at least easier for a lot of artists because that's our first love. That's, you know, where we went to first. But now these new mediums, these new I forms, know. it's just like how do you communicate your message authentically through these other mediums? It's like, okay, we got we got the music part down yeah. and maybe even even the music video part down, but then like all these uh, Twitter and Instagram and now TikTok, like what, how do we do all this I stuff? I mean, think I one thing I really do is pay attention to the few Instagram accounts that I actively enjoy searching for and watching and checking them out like okay. i love watching tiara wax stuff mm. you know her no she just got signed to interscope last year or two okay. years ago or whatever and she's known for putting out um an album of only one minute songs oh, and wow. she did that so that she could make a music video for each one minute song cool. and put all 15 of them on youtube i mean on instagram uh, as the album wow she made the album for instagram yes and Whoa. on spotify yeah. sure enough they are all one minute fucking songs. <laughs> so now you're not only benefiting off this like cool viral concept. Yeah. Now from a Spotify streams revenue perspective, for me to listen to the song, I'm gonna play it like six times more yes. than I probably would because it keeps ending. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're gonna get the same amount of streaming royalties <laughs> per one minute song as oh you would gosh. for a six minute song. Yeah, yeah. So funny. Right. So that's I think just like <laughs> being you is really dope. And she's just very like interesting on her social media and she'll just be off of it for a week and then mm -hmm. be super on it and then off. And I think I like to operate the same, which is just whatever's mm -hmm. honest. Um, I also love Justin Bieber's Instagram because anyone who knows me <laughs> knows that I just have such a crush on Justin Bieber. I love him so much. Yeah. Um, and there's a few others, but I think the best um, compliment I've ever gotten is someone's like, oh, like you're, you know, in real life, you are how I thought you would be. I think that's yes. a really good um, metric. Mm. There's many people who have like a huge Instagram account and then I meet them and I'm like, this is your energy is so whack. Like you're huh. not, you're not like a vibrant, you don't yeah. have an aura. Like where's your glow? And yeah. and they're on their phone at the event, which makes sense why they have a poppin' Instagram account <laughs> right, because right. they be on that shit 24 yeah. seven. Yeah, so yeah, then yeah. you meet them and you're like, and, and it's all for the gram, truly. Mm. and. Mm. And they're very successful and a lot of opportunities come to them mm. because they're now essentially a marketing platform for other brands to want to give them stuff to market on their platform with one million followers. Right. Um, but it's not necessarily an extension of them, their authentic yeah, selves. Yeah, it's like its own, it's an influencer business model. You sure. Know? And sure. I, I value the aspects and opportunities that have happened because of whatever small following my 50K has brought in. Mm -hmm. But I definitely get a lot of spam things that are like, we can, we want to advertise with you. We want to requirement $200 to post this, this, yeah. and this. And I was like, ew, like yeah. this is so <laughs> problematic. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's, um, you're now at a point where you know what to say no to and how to say no. Um, and I mean, I think there's a lot of people that were like $200. Yes. Oh my gosh. Just because it's of fair. this thing. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But at the same time, by saying no and by, by actively stating and expressing who you are not and what you won't do, that makes your followers that much more loyal to yes, who you are. Yes, because it's not going to be crap. 
Exactly. And even for Adidas, they sent this long deck of like what they want me to post and mm. when. And, you know, for certain things, I do respect it because I understand it's a coordinated posting day, for example, maybe on many people's accounts. Sure. So they want me participating in that viral moment, yep. so, so to speak. But then there's other times when I'm like, no, it needs to look more like this. My audience will resonate more if it's like this. You know, small hacks that I'm aware of. Like, for mm -hmm. example, they sent me this really ugly square that had the photo of me boxing and yep. then it said underneath in in like what felt like a powerpoint like screenshot i oh, swear gosh. to god it was just so like <laughs> lo-fi yeah it just said you know um own your own your zone by adidas something 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 and it just looked ugly and mm. i was like i swear if you just send me the raw photo and i'll post a caption that's similar to what you already have written mm -hmm. the algorithm will like it better because mm -hmm. anytime you post words in mm -hmm. the instagram picture the algorithm doesn't promote it mm -hmm. unless you're buying advertising right. dollars which is what it wants you to do mm -hmm. so and then of course it worked a lot better posting just the photo and that's understanding your brand mm -hmm. that's understanding what's going to resonate with your audience and having that conversation with the brand that you're partnering with and they will respect you that much more because you're seeing what their ultimate objectives is anyway, are totally and you're just saying let me help you achieve your ultimate objective yep. i know my audience better than you know my right. audience yeah so let's collaborate on this together and, and our goal our, mission, our goals are aligned mm -hmm. i want my audience to know that i'm doing really cool things and i want my audience to know about your product because that's why we agreed to this deal mm -hmm. um but i was gonna say too i think a lot of us are very aggressive with brands with labels with big entities especially mm. when we're indian i think we're taught to be more aggressive than might be necessary mm. um i i think one of my favorite things that i learned when i was in school too is this notion of unlocking value for all people mm. um and it's this very simple story where there was two sisters and they were both baking something and they both reached for the last orange in the kitchen and they're both fighting over it um for each of their recipes because they both need an orange mm -hmm. and finally you know the parent comes in and just slices the orange in half and gives half to each sister and says figure it out you know stop fighting mm -hmm. but had they communicated they would have learned that one sister actually just needed the rind of the orange for the recipe and the oh. other sister only needed the inside of the orange for the recipe and oh. both could have unlocked maximum value for both parties with what was available on the table wow and that conversation and that concept is so powerful because if you understand what's in it for everybody and mm. what how value is de dis, um, defined for each party mm -hmm. everybody can be winning simultaneously if the communication is open yeah yeah wow so as part of the indie hustle um and releasing music and videos constantly um what is your release strategy like do you release <laughs> Do you release the videos? Uh, the, well, I know you don't, but what is the thought process behind releasing videos after you release songs? Have you ever done them on the same day? Have you preempted a single release with the video on YouTube? No, that's or what's a cool that, question. That? I think one of the coolest things that I did when I was at Interscope was mm -hmm. that I remember this was starting to be a really big conversation because videos were now being released on YouTube like mm. never before. And it was actually the Wild West in 2011 in the sense that the labels were really sheepish to put the videos on YouTube. But sure. everyone was like, if you want people to watch the video, it has to go here. Yeah. That's why Vivo was created to uh -huh. more officially monetize premium content. And it's a direct deal with the labels sure. to make sure that the videos are seen in a different you know, light than all the crap that's uploaded by anyone to right, YouTube. Right. So I remember um, learning that the question was, do you put the music video out before the single, like mm. back in the day? Mm -hmm. So it's basically a marketing tool. Right. Or do you put the single out and then put the video out so you get this double sort of 
um, explosive marketing play on the music mm. to drive sales both on the single release and on the video release day. Mm. Um, and I did this project where I looked at the highest grossing singles for the label in 2012, mm -hmm. and I looked where their video was placed in relation to that, and I found that without fail, it was always to release a video after in this day and age, mm. because you're gonna get, make a big splash on the late, on the single coming out, mm -hmm. on the music, on the audio, on the artwork, mm -hmm. and then you're gonna make another big splash on the video, and if people like the video, they go and stream or buy the mm. song. So that was a huge learning. And then you don't want to put the video out too far after the music. You want to put it out within one to two weeks. It was a pretty quick turnaround. Do you find that that's still true today? I think so. For yeah. uh, for Top Not Turn Up, we did something similar. Um, one to two weeks after the single? Well, no, I guess not for Top Not Turn Up. Okay. It, it was just that I did Top Not Turn Up on the week of my album release. So oh, okay. it was a week after the album release. Gotcha. But it wasn't a week after we had put out Top Not as a single. Sure. Um, and that's because Top Knot came out a year before the rest of the album. Right. I had always perceived it as a single, and then I liked it living in this body of work. So video after the single release. Yes. Is that, that's what you yes. kind of stand yes. by still 100%. to this day. Because okay. somebody likes the video, that now they want to go and add it to their Spotify, and it's not there to add. Right. What a missed opportunity. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And vice versa. If they've already fucked with the song, now mm -hmm. they're hyped to see the video. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Or they know the song, so the video has more emotional value. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, is that when you're creating these videos and you're working with these directors, um, do you try to stay as true to the initial uh, concept behind the song with the visual yeah, component? Yeah, I think so. Well? I okay. definitely feel like I have a synesthesia with the songs. Mm. I see the colors and the sentiment and the feeling and the mood. And then I, similarly to how I describe my production strategy, I write down and make a Pinterest of all the like things that I see in my brain. And then I try to bring on the director or team of directors who's appropriate for that vision. Cool. And I definitely have worked um, with folks who are very collaborative with mm. me. I think I had one experience for Bad Habits where I had a vision for the song and it was pretty honored close to my vision. Mm -hmm. But I was like constantly advised to like stay out of the director's way, mm. to like let the director do their thing. And I listened because it was my first big, bigger budget music video where sure. I had saved up to fund it. And I was like, okay, let me like play by the industry rules. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was, it was not the way that I like to do things mm. because then a lot of problems happened where someone was complaining about this and that. And I only found out after the fact, like none of these things were brought to my attention. Um, mm. You know, like going over time and being expected to do things, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm yeah. like, I'm really good at managing those kinds of things because I have that skill set. Yeah. And I understand you don't want to stress me out on set, but these are not stressful things for me. Ah, uh, I mean, so that's, I, I'm assuming this is something that you now kind of communicate and have these conversations. Oh yeah, that's why Top Knot and See Me Through went infinitely better yeah. to, the fact, to the extent that they were joyful. Like sure. we did long editing sessions. The directors uh. were both so inclusive. Oh, you huh. want to come by? Let's make the edits together. Cool. Very different than my previous experience, which was like, you get two edits and if you don't like it, too bad. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. busy, unavailable, The but the a deadline was already passed, like all this shit. And it's yeah. like, you're making art, you right, know? Right, right, right. And I mean, you're, because it's such an extension of you and, and the vision is so clearly like what you, you know, part of your vision and, and part of the song. I mean, it makes sense that you want to be part of that process oh. and all of the process. Um, and because uh, to just to kind of stay true to the, to that art. So I have one final question that I ask everybody. Um, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? I think when people who you admire now admire you back. Mm. 
I think that's what I'm like hype on. Like when people who I fan out for, they already think my work is amazing. Because mm. then what happens is then you have access to people to collaborate with them in an equal sort of mutually respectful, mutually admiring way. Mm different than if i reach out to somebody and i'm clearly in the sort of lesser power position because i'm the fan mm. um, of their work and they might feel like they're doing me the favor of collaborating or sharing or whatever mm. i want to think of myself as someone who's contributing value to the most famous person the most successful person mm. so that they can say oh my gosh like when you said this it really spoke to me and thank you because i was on jay leno and oprah and i was <laughs> spying on my yacht and yeah. i never thought about this and yeah. it was really humbling and I would love to have lunch with you. You know, something like yeah. that where I don't feel intimidated. I feel I have something to offer. So Mutual to me, that's respect. success. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Madam Gandhi, Karen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Ari. Thank you. And once again, quick shout out to my partner, Bandzoogle. You can design any website on Bandzoogle, get 15% off and a 30-day free trial by using the code ARI. That's Bandzoogle.com. Use the promo code ARI. Aight.